Hey, Teresa, I'd like another podcast, please. I think you've had enough. I'll tell you when I've had enough. It's Schmanners! I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my love. Hi, dear. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing so good. Um, you know, it's it's another warm summer day. We've moved into our temporary apartment <laughs> before we moved to Cincinnati. It's a whole thing, you guys. I don't even want to go into it. But it was a hot, exhausting day. And afterwards, I just wanted to crack open a cold beer, you know, just relax with my sudsy friend beer. That actually makes sense um, and has often been regarded as a national pastime. It's Miller time, I believe, is is how it's Is it's that how branded. it goes? Well, you know, listen, some folks might choose to sit down with a lemonade. Some cho- might choose to sit down with a sweet tea. Some might choose to sit down with a beer. I don't disparage anybody's choices as long as they drink responsibly. Let's just go ahead and get out in front of everything here. We're going to talk about alcohol, uh, specifically in regards to partying on this episode. Here at Schmanners HQ, we encourage responsible drinking, and we 100% support anybody who makes the option not to drink. We're going to talk about drinking in this episode because that is the context that's the topic at hand. But in no way are we encouraging people to drink if they don't want to, or in any way shaming people who don't drink. I'm going to summarize that as you do you, but be safe. Exactly. So, let's talk a little bit about booze through the ages. Well, so first of all, I want to talk a little bit about the BAC chart. That's the blood alcohol content. Correct. Yeah, I've Um, taken health class. I know what's up. I did dare. So these, they teach about they teach about booze and dare. Yeah, I think so. About okay. not not boozing. Oh, they were anti. Well, that they, oh, yeah, yeah. They're not really all about drink responsibly. Ten year olds. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so the blood alcohol charts. Um, they they are segmented into men and women um, because it is thought in the scientific community that men and women metabolize alcohol differently. Okay. Regardless of their weight. So a hundred pound man and a hundred pound woman will, um, like I said, according to the scientific community, metabolize alcohol differently. But the fact of the matter is that every single person metabolizes alcohol differently. I mean, I've always had the impression of like the BAC, much like um, uh, the BMI, that it was like, yeah, this is like on paper true, but like in the real world, everybody's so very different that this is a rough guideline, mostly, well, in the BAC, uh, mostly used for like, you know, law purposes and like legal issues and not really like a guideline by which everyone should live their lives right because everybody's livers function differently um genetics plays a factor as well and the idea that if you drink this your alcohol your blood alcohol level is this consistently every time and also that that blood alcohol level would in some way inform your behavior universe like if if you're at you know point eight 
Mm-hmm. Every or point oh eight. What is it? Point, Whatever. Point oh eight. Point, point eight is you're at point too eight, much. You're dead. You're, you're dead. But if you're at point oh eight, <laughs> everyone behaves this way, and everybody can function at this level. You know, it, R- regardless of the law, yeah. because the law is point oh eight yes. is is unlawful. But for some, like point oh seven, might still be completely unable to drive a car. Like exactly that that idea of what I'm saying is, if you have a drink, think before you drive. Like, yes. because I've seen too many people in my life and in other people's lives sit there and go, I'm fine. I'm not nearly as drunk, drunk enough that I shouldn't be able to drive. Like, if you're drinking, don't drive. I agree with that assessment. Um, so for 40 minutes of drinking, uh, 40 minutes to an hour, one drink on the, al- on this blood alcohol chart is, uh, one, and a quarter ounce of 80 proof liquor, which is a, a normal yeah. proof grocery store liquor is a little, a little smaller than that usually. Um, or a 12 ounce can of beer or a five ounce pour of regular table wine. Um, that doesn't include some of the, you know, the different spirits and brandies and, and other things like that. Those tend to have different beers that go up to like 15%. You know exactly. What I mean? Right. Um, so, Basically, uh, I sh- I would say that tipsy happens for a 180-pound man after three drinks, according to the blood alcohol chart, gotcha. which is 0.06 alcohol level. That That is tipsy, for sure. Shouldn't be driving, because we talked about that, if you're going to drink at all. You can consider not driving. Just don't drive. Um, and then that same tipsy happens according to the female chart for a 160-pound woman after two drinks. Okay. Uh, sure, science. Sure. Yeah. I'll buy it, I guess. So this is a good guideline. Um, and, you know, like we said earlier, everybody metabolizes differently. But that's... That's where things start to go. I would say that the bell curve starts going down okay. <laughs> right there. Um, so I want to get into the history of it. Absolutely. Um, you just shared with me recently something you learned from. Uh, so there's a thing in Cincinnati that we're very excited to attend this year called the Old West Fest. There's a thing that you told me that you learned from the Old West Fest website that whether it's true or not is a fun story that I wanted you to share. This is, okay, so the story goes that um, a shot of whiskey was approximately 12 cents and a 45 caliber cartridge for a six gun was also approximately 12 cents. So if you were a cowhand uh, who was down on their luck, you could exchange your 45 caliber cartridge for a shot of whiskey. Now, whether that's true or not, it's fine. You're going to find a fun. lot of anecdotal, uh, apocryphal information <laughs> regarding, you know, the drinking of alcohol. So let's get into, like, actual history. Right. Well, so anthropologists agree that alcohol has been part of the human culture since Neolithic times. Which is approximately 4,000 BCE. A while ago. Yeah. A few years. Um, and uh, almost all cultures across- 4,000 years BTM, before Travis <laughs> Before Travis well, Actually, I guess it would be 
what? Five thousand nine hundred eighty-three years. BTM. Okay. <laughs> um. So, and, and all these societies around the globe took part in intoxicating substances, and alcohol was the most common. You know, fermented fruit and fermented barley and and things like that. Um. And the development of agriculture is actually credited uh, as the foundation of civilization where they used grain for beer as much as for bread. I mean, there's a reason that beer and bread have very, very similar ingredients, you know, yeast, grain, all that stuff. And it's also biblical. Like we talked about this when we were talking Mm -hmm. about this episode. One of the Jesus stories is water into wine at a wedding. Because the wedding ran out of wine, and Jesus went, I got it. Bam, bam, bam. And he made <laughs> made wine. Some, something like that. Bam, bam, bam. I've got it, everybody. Relax. <laughs> Jesus. And he made it. And it was very Copperfield of him. So drinking has become a social activity, basically, from the beginning. And consumption and, and behavior regarding alcohol uh have been subject to self-imposed like social controls across the globe where every region and group of people has their own sort of social gathering um, rules that they, they abide by for this. And prohibition in the strictest sense has never really been successful. No. And ew. at any point. Um, it, but hey, here's the thing. Personal choice prohibition is one thing. There's su- like there's such a fatal flaw with enforced prohibition of any substance, not just like alcohol, but of anything. Tell someone not to do something is the fastest way to make them want to do it. Well, the only time prohibition really works is when it's in couched in terms of sacred rules of of religious cultures so it has that strictly personal kind of thing where instead of society telling you you can't you decide for your own salvation that that's what you want to do personal choice always better so uh, across all these different societies the there are some near universal constraints that seem to happen where um prescription of social i'm sorry where there's this prescription of solitary drinking where that's kind of frowned upon Mm -hmm. right but uh there's a prescription of sociability right so if you want to be social you're going to drink a little bit but it's you know out in a group instead of by yourself the difference between going to a party and drinking versus sitting at home and drinking to get drunk exactly yes and also, um, you know, the social control of consumption and behavior. So you want to be sociable and drink a little bit, but you don't want to get too drunk to embarrass yourself. Yes. I mean, it's, a, it's like that controlled relaxation. You're having yeah. controlled fun. Mm-hmm. And then there are also cultural restrictions on female and underage drinking. Yes. Um, found in almost every society. And I don't want to get too much into the female part, but the underage part is where, you know, it's deemed as more of an adult thing and there's a rite of passage associated with it where children aren't supposed to partake, but once you become an adult, then you can partake. 
You I'm, rolled your eyes. <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes real hard. Only because it's stuff like, in some countries, it's 18. And in some countries, it's 21. And I just think about, like, I don't think I became a responsible adult till yesterday. So, like, the <laughs> idea of, like, at 21, suddenly I was, like, fully capable of making adult-grown decisions. Like, it just seems to me, like, the better thing. And, the, okay, a little editorializing. Seems to me the better thing would, to do would be to, like, teach over time. Rather than be like, teach nothing till 21. Right. Well, and, and I'm just, you know, talking about the, the generalized kind of societal rules that we've placed on drinking. Yes. And I, I definitely agree that education is key. <laughs> there you go. There it is. <laughs> there you have it. And, uh, and time after time, like we talked about with Prohibition, that it's usually, um, Better societies are formed when it's more of a social construct that limits these things rather than a legal construct. Well, because usually when something's made illegal like that and you saw it in Prohibition, the people who made it were criminals. Mm -hmm. And you saw the rise of people like Al Capone and, you know, the whole gangster mentality of like, well, people will still want it and they'll pay money for it. So I'm going to capitalize on this demand with my own supply. Right. Whereas where if the government is in control of it and the government has, you know, regulations in place, we're able to put a much one, make it safer. But two, you can gain it through legal means and we don't turn people into criminals. Right. Um, one of the other social constants that we find across the globe are drinking places. So societies have specific designated environments for these communal drinking, uh, for communal drinking. Um, and usually it's kind of a separate place with, it th- with its own rules, you know, a bar or a pub, uh-huh. yeah. right? Um, and they turn, they tend to be socially integrative egalitarian environments meaning that wait what (laughs) there's eagles there (laughs) no egalitarian um meaning that when you go there you're all on the same level so anybody can go into a pub regardless of social status and if you can pay for the drink you can drink it and stay there but they have the right to refuse service well i mean yes Yes. mostly i i suppose but but the idea is still the, the same. The idea being until you break the rules, everybody's equal. Right. You know, you don't start stuff here, we won't kick you out, but no sleeping on the bar. That is a thing. You're not That's, allowed to do that. Don't, don't sleep in the booths. It's a real issue. Yeah. I've been told that before. Not that I've slept in <laughs> bar booths, but people have brought it up before. And the general idea of having a designated drinking place is to facilitate social bonding. So it's not some place that you go and drink by yourself and be quiet. It's more kind of a party atmosphere. You know, you go if you think of like a watering hole in nature, mm-hmm. it's where all the animals come together and everybody drinks at the watering hole. It's the same thing with like a bar. It's why they call it a watering hole. You go after a long day of work and you say like, oh, this day, give me a cranberry and soda. And like you can drink whatever you want to, but everybody hangs out at the bar. Exactly. And the uh, the arrival at the bar or drinking in general is regarded as a festive kind of ritual. Um, Norm! Exactly. <laughs> um, and celebrations big and small can take place at these these designated drinking areas. Whether you are, you know, celebrating getting off work for the weekend or, you know, 25th wedding anniversary. Or commiserating. Or commiserating. Right. But it's, again, a social sort of thing. So here's where we start to get into the kind of delineations of different regionalities of of beverage specifically. Okay. 
So beverage has long been a significant indicator of social status and what beverage pairs with what also goes along with that. So like like champagne versus moonshine. Is that what you mean? (laughs) I suppose so. I guess what I'm really talking about is the idea that um, drinks, uh, uh, alcoholic beverage drinks have symbolic meaning where like if you order champagne, that's a bigger type of celebration. Very rarely has anyone ever gone, ugh, I've had such a terrible day. I need a glass of champagne. Right. And like um, wine is usually paired with food and, and a meal, like a higher class meal requires wine, whereas kind of a relaxed, casual atmosphere is more appropriate for beer. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, that's what I really mean. What what kind of song are they going to write? Is it going to be a country song? <laughs> is it going to be a, you know a rap song? Is it going to be a pop song? Like what song pairs best with what alcohol? Right. <laughs> Um, and sometimes in different regions, it goes even more specific than that. So like in France, you have to have an aperitif before your meal. It's not used during the meal or after. And white wine is usually served before red wine. And then brandy and digestifs are served at the end of the meal. So like there's this whole kind of structure to what you drink and when depending upon what you're doing well and not only that but i think uh, one of our favorite shows uh supersizers go is you see back in the past before water was so palatable and like they had so many purification things that people were a lot more open about just like drinking beer because it was usually a lot safer and a lot more health conscious. Exactly. And beer was a lot more, um, I I should say, a lot less alcoholic than it is now. If you ever hear someone refer to small beer, you hear it in Shakespeare a lot. Mm -hmm. It means like a really watered down beer that you could drink without getting super drunk. Right, right. But the fermentation is what made it so much uh, more safe to drink. So I think like, some of the stuff, especially like this, the 70s episodes of Super Sizers Go, where they're just like slamming cocktails 24-7, where I think in at least here in America, modern day, drinking is much more of a after five o'clock and in moderation. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you definitely see a lot more like restrictions on how much you can drink at what time of the day and when. Well, and also in the U.S., we had a, a little more of a successful temperance movement than they did in the U.K. That's very true. Ooh, <laughs> temperance. Well, okay. But you're seeing that change a lot more with, like, the rise of, like, brunch and mm-hmm. these kind of, like, you can have a beer with lunch and that doesn't make you the devil. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So as far as, you know, more regionalities, you know, a lot of drinks serve as kind of a national identity. So, like... The Irish have Guinness, Mexicans have tequila, uh, Scots have whiskey, Greeks have ouzo. You know, all of this stuff is kind of a, a national identity that a lot of people use. They're they're drinking. To America do. has Budweiser, you know, but actually not anymore. <laughs> it's not actually made in America anymore, though it will be called that. Um, let's see, what does America have? Bourbon? Um, sure. Well, America. Okay, so here's the thing. Because the United States is so large, especially when compared to a lot of these European countries that I mentioned, um, it's far more regional. So I would say that probably, well, New England has rum. 
right? They have a long history of the rum trade. And then probably the Midwest has has bourbon. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of what might be deemed appropriate for the Northwest. You got stout in the Northwest. Okay. Like a Portland coffee stout. Is Pacific what Northwest. Yeah, Pacific Northwest. Um, see, down in Texas, there's a really great vodka that Griffin would be mad at me if I didn't mention. <laughs> Tito's vodka is his favorite. Well, but when I think vodka, I think of Russia. This is true. You're right. Texas, uh, let's see, they've got Lone Star. They've got new no shiner, but beer. I mean, I think yeah. South is is very beer. You know, I think the whole bread basket. You know, the whole yeah. bread belt is. Would you say lager belt. or ale? Hey, uh, lager probably much more. Uh, ale, I think much more of like New England. I think okay. much more of like cold weather. Right, but I mean exactly what I was talking about. It's just so large yeah. that there are so many regions that you can really segment it into. Um. This has been Travis tries to identify <laughs> regional alcohols. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the one thing that I really want to talk to, the one drink that I would love to talk about in regards to kind of a party atmosphere is... Moonshine. No. Okay. <laughs> Punch. Punch. Yeah. And I know that at parties nowadays, we don't really tend to serve punch unless it's like a sanctioned social function, like... Like a festival. Well, maybe not a festival. I think the last time I had punch was Cotillion when I was 12. (laughs) I think that's the last time I had legitimate, like, non-alcoholic, mind you. But, like, we mixed up some 7-Up and Sherbert, I think. I can't remember what it was, but. Well, but I bet you've had a cocktail recently. Well, yes. Well. Well, have I? The precursor of the cocktail is punch. So, before you had individualized cocktails, those drinks were served communally as punch. See, that's very interesting because it's just now in this moment that I remember in college I did the play Philadelphia Story. Mm-hmm. And in that, people mixed up a pitcher of martinis. Right. Right? Instead of like the individual shaker, they did like a pitcher and you would get like 12 martinis out of it. And that's just what they did. And anyone who's ever had a martini knows it's straight liquor. It's straight <laughs> alcohol. It is gin that saw vermouth once. <laughs> and, but both of those things are liquor, and that's it. Those are the only ingredients. Well, so um, that idea of a communal drink is exactly where punch came from. Um, and it's, it's really old. So... The first discovered use of the word punch dates back to 1632. That's, you know, a long a long time ago. Probably the first time punch was used, like, as a drink. Were people punching each other before no. that? Okay. So, punch actually comes from the word punch. That comes from an Indian dialect, the number five. Okay. Why? Because it has five general ingredients, which are... Something sweet, something sour, something alcoholic, water, which is often flavored with tea, and spice. Okay. It's pretty straightforward. I can see why that would become very popular, Mm because it sounds pretty hard to mess that up. 
Well, there are thousands and thousands of punch recipes. A lot of them are not really catered to our modern taste, but it goes back to the idea of the spice trade and spice being really more um, valuable than gold. Do you have any of these examples for us? Oh, of course I do. do. Um, So a punch recipe from uh, Beaton's Dictionary, which is copyrighted 1871, is called Punch a la Ford. Peel very thin three dozen lemons into an earthen vessel. Add two pounds of lump sugar. Stir the peels and sugar together with a wooden spoon for nearly half an hour to extract the essential oil from the peels. That's a really long time, dudes. Then pour upon the peels some boiling water and stir until the sugar is dissolved. Cut the lemons and squeeze out the juice. Strain out the pips and pour boiling water upon them. After a time, strain this water into earthen vessels and pour into also half the quantity of lemon juice. This sherbet should be tasted and more acid or more sugar added as required. Strain it. Okay, we've got lemonade so far, okay. right? Yeah, we got hot lemonade. <laughs> strain it clear and uh, every three quarts add one pint of cognac brandy and one pint of old rum. Old rum. Bottle immediately. The punch so made putty raspberry syrup will keep for years and is improved by age. But, hold on. Uh, that sounds very lemony. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't sound bad so much as it doesn't seem like the punch that I think of. Where I'm thinking like the big bowl... With, like, ice floating in it mm-hmm. and, like, maybe some Sprite in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm picturing. Well, so what you're probably thinking of is the American Punch um, Fish House Punch. Okay. Uh, which is a traditional mixture of rum, peach brandy, lemon, sugar, and water. So that's more of a kind of you know, diverse, sweet drink. You know, you mentioned yeah. the Sherbert and 7-Up. So, like... I guess I'm I'm also thinking of a version of Punch where it's, like, champagne is the alcohol. So, it's, like, fizzy. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely recipes for champagne punch. Um, this one here, also from 1871, has... I won't read it to you word for word. Um, oolong tea. And then... Uh, wine. Half a pint of wine. Tablespoonful of brandy, uh, some maraschino, a bottle of plain soda, so carbonated water, and then a bottle of champagne. Yeah, see, I can get behind that one. That sounds good. A little fizzy? Sounds great. Um, And to that, you can add some banana, some orange, some ice, all things like that. All these are interesting to me because, like, I think until I was an adult thinking about punch, I pictured this very, like, teetotaler thing that people would then spike the punch Hmm. where this seems more like oh no no you did punch wrong yes (laughs) you took punch and you made it non-alcoholic punch but punch is inherently should be alcoholic and you made a non-alcoholic punch and not the other way around right well and so the tradition of punch was started in england but um they really took it too far in america uh a lot of these places that i've read about um where some of the the most remarkable recipes uh, is one is called cock ale punch, uh, and it requires the act of infusing a whole chicken into 
Ale. What? Hold mm-hmm. on. Right. What? Uh-huh. You're making chicken punch? <laughs> I suppose so. Um, and apparently this was a common practice during the 17th and 18th to centuries. To make chicken punch? You well, make chicken punch? Uh, What's the matter with you? This is some crazy Willy Wonka stuff. It was a means of enlivening cheaply produced ales. To make it taste like chicken? Uh, or oh, make this it is so much better. Mm, it tastes like chicken. Make it taste like anything else, I guess. Gross. A horse meat was often used as well. Get out. Horse meat punch? How was yeah. that better? I know. It's pretty gross. Ew. So, uh, earlier I mentioned that the precursor of the cocktail is punch. And before uh, they called it the cocktail... It was actually called a sneaker. Because it would sneak up on you and get you real drunk? Well, no, but it was because it was a single person service. Um, So it was uh, uh, touted as a gentleman may have it sooner made as a gill of wine can be drawn. So it's just something quick that they kind of throw together before they get the regular stuff going. Wait, hold on. Based on what? Because I've been to a lot of places where they make cocktails and it takes like a solid 15 minutes to get my drink. Well, but I mean, remember that punch recipe I just read you? Yes. Like, that takes hours. Yeah, well, that's true. To make the, the lemonade stuff and then to add it all to in. Grind and to grind the sugar and the lemon for half an hour. Exactly. So the making of a punch back then, you know, was probably an afternoon affair at least. But then these little sneakers were so easy to make and single serve that you could do it before you made your punch. Well, cool. Um, we're going to be right back um, with some questions from our listeners. But first, uh, we have an ad and a word from another Max Fun show. Uh, we're very excited. I think this is our first sponsor on Spanish. I, yeah, it is. Um, we're going to have to come up with like a snazzy name for it. Yeah, like maybe sponsors. Something <laughs> like that. We'll come up with that. Um, but our sponsor this week is Casper. Um, they make amazing mattresses. And we're not just making that up because we sleep on one, Teresa and I do. We do. You know, we when we first moved here to California, we ordered a mattress from Amazon and it just... It was okay. It was okay. I mean, it was not the ground. I, I was glad that it was able to be delivered to my door. That was nice. But really, we didn't know what good sleep felt like until we we got our Casper. And listen, we're not just saying that it's the best night's sleep I've ever had sleeping on the Casper. And not just that. It's an amazing deal. You can get a twin-size mattress for $500 and a king-size for only $950. And if you've been mattress shopping recently at like a big box store, you know that that's an amazing deal. And also, let me tell you this. If you're like most people, you're probably sleeping on a mattress that's way old. Exactly. Mattresses break down over time, and you're probably sleeping on the same mattress that like you had in college. That's gross. (laughs) Go get a new mattress from Casper. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy. You can try it for 100 days with free delivery to the U.S. and Canada and painless returns. And I have to say, I would much rather try mattress overnight for for a couple months than 10 minutes laying down on it in the store. No, it's a way better way of doing things. Casper has really got this stuff figured out. Um, and not only that, but they're going to give a little treat to Schmanner's listeners because they're very polite at Casper. And Schmanner's listeners can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash Schmanner's and use the promo code Schmanner's, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. 
Don't put a C in there or you won't be you able won't to get, get you won't get the $50. S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Go tell them Schmanner sent you so they'll keep buying more apps so we can keep telling you how great they are. Hey, Max Fun community. This is your friend, Elizabeth Gilbert, author of Eat, Pray, Love, and a bunch of other stuff. I am a longtime member, supporter, and devoted follower of Maximum Fun. And now, finally, I have my own podcast on the network. It's called Magic Lessons, and it is me coaching people through their creative issues and problems. This season, we have some amazing creators that we're helping through their joys and struggles of making something out of nothing. And then I bring in special guests like Glennon Doyle Melton, Brandon Stanton, Martha Beck, the poet Mark Nepo, Michael Ian Black, Sarah Jones, Gary Scheingart, these amazing friends of mine to come and help coach these people so that they can get their work done. I hope you'll tune into it. It's called Magic Lessons, and it's all about love. Hello! This month's Beef and Dairy Network podcast is an Olympic special recorded here on Ipanema Beach in Rio de Janeiro. We'll be tackling all the big issues. Should athletes be allowed to eat lamb? Should Olympic equestrian riders be able to ride on a cow? All these questions and more answered in this month's Beef and Dairy Network Olympic special. Find us at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts from. Okay, so we've got some questions. Uh, there were a lot of questions for this one, so let's do a few now. Great. This is, this is from Cameron. This was the big one. We had a lot of BYOB questions. Okay. When a party is BYOB, are you obliged to share that beverage, or is it okay to bring stuff just for you? And in fact, let me just run through and do all the BYOB questions all at once. Oh, okay. Vince asked, when hosting a party and it is BYOB, are you obliged to put out some alcohol for everyone to share? I usually take a gift to someone's house, often a bottle of wine. This is from Heather. Is that just for us to drink that night, or should I also bring my own B? This is from Leslie. If the party is BYOB and I don't finish my B, is it rude to dig it home with me? Um, and that same question comes from Kevin. What are the rules for BYOB regarding leftovers? Does the host keep all the beer, or should you take your beers home with you? Okay, so let's go one by one. Well, no. So what I would like to do okay. is I want to make kind of an overarching statement about BYOB. And it seems that it is kind of touted as like this social dance that we do. You know how last week on the telephone stuff. Or whenever that or was. Or whenever that was. I talked about how Mrs. A can call Mrs. B, but don't get offended if her servant answers. and But the servants can never call the other. Like all that stuff, right? The idea behind BYOB is so that everyone can partake in something that they enjoy without accruing tremendous um, expense to the host of the party. But there are all these social constructs around it that are like, well, don't bring really good stuff because if you bring really good stuff, other people are going to drink it when you should really just drink your own or don't be offended if people bring really cheap stuff because they don't want to spend a lot of money on it or you should only bring enough for you and your the other person you brought because everything else you're going to have to leave. And then the host is supposed to keep everything unless they insist that it all go. Like, all of this stuff. So regarding BYOB, I suggest... This is a Teresa McElroy proclamation. <laughs> I suggest that you bring something moderately priced... That you won't be upset if other people drink. 
and that you leave there, but is not so terrible that it will be the only thing left and you'll want to drink everything else everybody else brought. I, I think that that's good. And I think that one other addition, I, as someone who's hosted many times, if it's a party for like six people, don't bring like two 30 packs of beer and then leave 58 beers for the host to then fill their fridge with. Be reasonable, but plan on leaving it. Right. I would say generally people should plan on leaving it. It's considered rude I th- most of the time to take it back with you. Um, so if you are bringing a spirit, for example, bring a fifth, the smallest thing that you can buy, you know, so you something that you and your partner might drink that night. Um, or if you are hosting a party and it's BYOB and people bring things that you don't normally drink, ask them or insist that they take it home with you. Just by saying, I'll never drink this. Like, please, I insist, take it home. Like, it's not rude to say, like, okay, thank you for coming, and thank you for bringing this, but I insist that you take it home with you. Absolutely. I, it, BYOB is such a, you know, a, a newer thing that there aren't really written rules about it at this point, but everybody should try and be thoughtful about it. You know, you... The rules are you brought it to share, but don't drink everything that everybody else brought. And, you know, be cool. You guys, just be cool. And if you're going to be the host and it's going to be BYOB, you should BYO up front about it and tell people about it ahead of time. Right. Because, like, what you don't want is for guests to get there and you think everyone's just going to assume it's BYOB and they didn't bring things or mm-hmm. have or any. Confusion is bad. I would also... Nobody asked about this, but I would like to weigh in. Teresa and I are two fully grown adults who are soon to have a baby. We'll be parents soon. I'm just going to throw out a little bit of advice from me to you. When I was a younger man and I would go to parties, I would often see those parties as an opportunity to get drunk. And now, as an adult, what I realize is those parties are really an opportunity to spend time and have fun with friends. And... You can spend time and have fun with friends and be drunk. They, they don't cancel each other out. But I think that you should be looking to make fun memories. And if you get so drunk that you can't remember those fun memories, you are not doing it right. And now as an adult, I drink far less than I did when I was 21 and 22 in college because I did not drink before I was 21. Dad, thanks for listening. <laughs> but the thing is, is like, Go to a party and enjoy fun with friends and don't drink to hurt yourself, which is really what you're doing when you're drinking so fast. Because here's the thing. If you're asking about like manners at a party, drinking so fast that you get drunk before everyone has arrived at the party is not good schmanners. That's not good schmanners. Like if you want to just barely peek at being drunk right at the end of the night. Okay, great. You've timed that out perfectly. But my my goal now, I was actually talking with um, my sister-in-law, Rachel about this recently and my goal now is i arrive at a party and i have a quick beer just enough to feel like ah relax and then i kind of nurse a beer every 45 minutes for the rest of the party which makes sense according to the bac because you are um what a 200 pound man sure on a good day (laughs) um but, okay, so there were a couple things that we didn't agra- address in regards to bringing a bottle of wine as maybe a host gift. I think that if it's a BYOB party, you are 
uh, your bee that you brought is enough of a gift. Like, you are... What? I disagree. You disagree? Yes. I do. What do you say? I think that if it's BYOB and you are also bringing a host gift, that those should be two different things. Because if you're bringing it for you to consume, that is not a gift to the host. Well, because but you're it is, leaving it there. If, you're, if your plan is to not open it for the day, you're great. But I'm saying if you're bringing a thing intentionally, there's a difference between being invited to dinner and bringing a bottle of wine for everyone to share during dinner. And saying, this is a gift that I'm bringing you. Now I need you to open it so I can drink it and get drunk. That's not really a gift to them. It's a gift you bought for yourself. I can see where you're coming from. But most often, there will be so much alcohol, especially, that you can't possibly drink it all. at the at, Because if everyone's bringing something with them, the host is going to be left with a lot of different varietals of alcohol. I, I agree with you. I'm just saying, like... I don't think you should walk in being like, I got you this as a present. I would like a glass of it, please. Like, No, I, I, okay. I do agree with that. You shouldn't, you, that's not how you should couch this whole thing. It should be, um, a, a host gift is not required for a party that is BYOB. So don't present it as a gift. Just bring your B. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Um, and then the other one was. Oh, uh, from Vince. If you're hosting the party and it's Uh, BYOB, are you obligated to put some out for everyone to share? I would say that as the host, you are obligated to provide the non-alcoholic drinks um, and a bottle of wine or a case of beer. Like it's not, if this is a BYOB event, you're not required to to furnish all the varietals of alcohol, but you should have a reliable non-alcoholic drink that isn't water and then one sort of uh, spirit or wine or beer. My go-to is always like to get a, you know, 24, 30 pack of some relatively cheap, like Budweiser, Miller Lite or something that was like, if you didn't bring your own beer, you can have some of this, but it barely cost me anything to provide it for you. You know, it was the equivalent of like the hot dog at the cookout. Like I didn't bring everybody's steak. But like, right. if you want a hot dog, there's plenty for everybody. I might up that and make it to two buck chuck instead. Uh, maybe we'll see. <laughs> um, we also had a lot of questions about for those that don't drink for whatever reason, and I understand because I've, I've, you know, maybe in the past when I was a younger man and I didn't know any better, I've maybe like done this accidentally, had batch manners. Which is when someone says, oh, you know, I'm not really drinking tonight. Or like, I'm just going to stick with the water. Like this feeling of this need for everyone to, quote, have fun. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, no, come on, have a drink. Oh, come on. Or it's just like, no, I just told you I'm not. How do you deal with that? And when let's find an actual question that I can read you. This is from Jason. I teetotal. And whenever at a party, people are always shocked at this and try to convince me to drink something. How can I politely refuse and ask them not to bring it up anymore or disengage when people don't stop trying to get me to drink something? Um, well, Emily Post recommends no thank you. Yeah. Listen, I don't want to sound like every after school special, but people who try to pressure you to drink aren't really your friends. Like, if you don't want to drink, you don't have to. I think, but it's it also goes back to the same thing we talked about like the amusement park episode and in a lot of episodes is how are you saying it? 
Exactly. If you're going, oh, no, I'm, I don't know, I'm going to like, just say, no, thank you. I'm, I'm not going to drink tonight. Exactly. And I don't think that you have to, I'm always getting on Travis that you don't need excuses. You don't have to explain yourself. It's really none of their business why you're not drinking. There are so many things why. Maybe it's a pregnancy you don't want to announce yet. Maybe it's a medical condition. Maybe it's, you know, personal religious beliefs. Maybe you just don't like the taste of it or you're not feeling it tonight. Maybe you're really afraid of ghosts and you don't know what they mean when they call alcohol spirits. There's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons. And, you know, also, there's maybe your family has a history of alcohol abuse. Maybe. Or you're a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. Any of these are acceptable, and there are so many more acceptable reasons not to drink. Um, the fact of the matter is it's nobody's business. So say no thank you in a decisive but polite way and change the subject. Walk away. Go outside. Like, if nothing else, though, is the secret. Get some tonic water and, like, a lime. Get a glass with some tonic water in it. Throw a lime wedge in there. No one will give you any problem. There will be bubbles in it. There will be a garnish on it. No one will give you any problems. I mean, I I think that that is a great alternative for people who just don't want to deal with it. Um, But you, I also feel like people shouldn't feel like that they need to hide the fact that they don't drink. Um, the fact of the matter is, it's batch manners to ask. True. If they want it, they'll get it. It's a party. Yeah. Like, if they want it, they'll get it. And I, I hope that I didn't sound too preachy, because I, I do know that the people who listen to our show are, you know, trying to better themselves, trying to have manners. So I'm not talking to you people. I'm talking to other people. <laughs> Uh, All those people who don't listen to our show. Yeah. Hey, people who aren't <laughs> listening right now, this one's for you. Uh, this question is from Che the Bearded. At what point can you tell people it's time to go? My older roommate had a party, and at 3 a.m. he was in bed, and they were still here. I actually did this once. <laughs> no, I've, to- I've heard this story. I was I had a ho- uh, like a housewarming party at my apartment, but I had to work the next morning at 5 a.m. <laughs> and so, like, I, I think at, like, 11 p.m., I disappeared from the party, changed in my pajamas, and walked back out. The party was like, you all have to leave now. <laughs> and they were like, what? I think the party started at like 9, 8, 9 p.m. And I was like, you all have to go. And they're like, why? And I was like, I have to work in the morning. <laughs> like, but you threw this party. That was poor planning on your I part. I did it really bad. That was guys. really bad. Um, one of the recommended ways to kind of do this in a, um, I don't want to say passive aggressive, but I do want to say in a covert way is to start talking about the party in past tense. Gosh, we had so much fun tonight. Or, oh man, it was really great when we all got together. Thank you so much for coming. Like any of that stuff, when you start talking about it in past tense, I'm pretty sure people are going to get the hint. And listen, I know it's not cool. I know it's not cool. But on an invite, if you do have something the next morning, Put an end time. Right. No no party till question marks. I'm trying to remember. There's some a stand-up comic who has the joke of like nine to question mark. And the question the answer to the question is 930. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just that idea of like if, if you have a thing and you need to be asleep at midnight, let everybody know that it's going from nine to midnight. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you leave it open-ended, people are going to hang out if they're having a good time. You know what I mean? Don't throw a party if you got something to do the next morning at 5 a.m. That's the lesson <laughs> That's I the learned. lesson Travis learned. 
Yeah, but if, when you start talking about it in past tense, I think people will get the hint. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, man, that was a great podcast. It I sure thought that was. was a great episode. It was a great episode we just had. <laughs> that like that is that's that great. That's you know, perfect to let everyone know that the podcast that is the ending. podcast is ending. Uh, we want to thank you all for listening. We want to thank you for telling your friends about the show. Um, we want to thank you uh, for going on iTunes and rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Uh, we don't and buying that ringtone. Buying that ringtone on iTunes that Brent did. Brent did. Uh, Brentel Foss did our intro and outro music. And it is available in uh, it's available in ringtone form. I understand that maybe it's available through not just iTunes, but I have no idea where else to find it. You should ask him at Brental Floss, and then ask him to compose something for you and give him monies for it. <laughs> um, and we also want to say thank you to Maximum Fun for hosting our show, as well as many, many other amazing shows that you should go check out. Check out Still Buffering, Adam Ruins Everything, Minority Corner, um, Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, it, who's a friend of the network and now has her own show on the network, just did the second season of Magic Lessons, where she helps uh, people who are maybe seeking inspiration to finish a project or something like that. Where, uh, yeah, so it's hosted by her on Maximum Fun, Magic Lessons. Go check it out. Um, oh, before I forget, we are still doing, for just a couple more days, I think, the pre-orders for the McElroy version of Monikers, um, where you can play a fun McElroy-based card game with all your friends. You can find out more details by going to McElroyCollection.com. It's only $10 for the McElroy expansion, so go pick it up. And I am also doing a live show of Interrobang, the podcast that I do with my friend Tybee, where we talk about what's frustrating us in the world and frustrating us in our lives. We're doing our first ever live show here in Los Angeles on October 13th at 7.30 p.m. And we just love for you all to be there. It's at the three clubs. Um, and, you know, I'm excited. It's our first pod- live podcast, and we want you to come check it out. Tickets are only $8, and we'd love to see you there. Um, let's see, Teresa. What else? What am I forgetting? Thank you to Kayla and Wassel for all of our art. It's beautiful. Go check out her portfolio. It's all wonderful. Um, thank you to Emily Post and Miss Manners. I'm always, always looking up that stuff. So thank you so much. Oh, and thank you to the Facebook group. Uh, you can join our Facebook group if you search Schmanners Cast on Facebook. Um, there's some really great posts on there, and I really appreciate how everyone is so, so polite, doing a great job. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter, and every week we will put out what the episode subject is going to be, so you can ask questions and get your questions answered. And I think that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manner, Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.